Good morning, everybody. Y'all doing okay this morning? Mm. I bet it'd help if I turned my mic on, wouldn't it? I bet it would. I bet Bart would appreciate that. My bad. You know, it's like I'm doing this too much. Hey, there we go. I'm on now. <clears throat> I'm really loud, by the way. So this is going to be... Okay, there we go, Bart. Smart. Turn it down. Um, <clears throat> anyways, my name is Judson Blucher. I'm one of the, um, the elders here at Mountain View Church, for those who don't know me. Uh, um, I'm married, of course, to a wife, Megan. Uh, today is our 12th year wedding anniversary, by the way. So 12 years of marriage. Yes, if you ask her, she'll say it'll be 50 years. But um, it feels like 50 years I've been married to you. Please leave my house. But I'm like, no, sweetheart, I love you. Because uh, if you're leaving, I'm coming with you. So you're stuck with me forever. I have three children, Henry, Ben, and Russ. If you um, hear some strange sounds that sound like a goat is being... Having his leg amputated with a butter knife coming from a kid's place. Don't worry, it's just my kids. Um, they're, they're very loud and they destroy anything that they come across. But <clears throat> enough about me. Today we're going to be uh, continuing our True and Better sermon series. And today we're going to look into the book of Nehemiah. So if you will, turn your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. So can anyone tell me, anybody here tell me today, what, uh, what Nehemiah is known for? Anybody? Rebuilding. Rebuilding the wall. Correct. So we know that here that one thing that's very important in the book of Nehemiah is that everyone knows Nehemiah for doing one thing, that's rebuilding the wall. That God gave him a vision, a passion, to burn, a burning desire in him to go and, um, and rebuild the walls. So, so we're going to see today that there's more to it, to Nehemiah, than just, just rebuilding the walls. We're going to see that there is, there is a people there in Nehemiah who are in desperate need. Not only for walls, but they're in desperate need of a Savior. Stand with me, if you will, to honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to go verse 1-1. One, one. I'm going to read the first chapter. And then we're going to go down. I'm going to read a little bit in chapter 2. And we'll go from there. <clears throat> verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of... Yes. Um, now, it happened in the month of uh, Chrislev, in the, 20, in the 12th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel... Good night. That Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked him concerning the Jews who escaped and who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel which have sinned against you, Even I and my father's house have sinned. 
We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your have not kept the commandments, the statuses and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses to remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. And if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the king's, now I was the cupbearer to the king. Chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 17, starting verse 17 to 18. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burn. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer desertion. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, God. Thank you for... The blessings you've given us. And God, I just pray today that we see you for who you truly are, Father. That we are a people in desperate need, Father. Not for just walls, God, but for changed hearts and changed lives, God. That can only come through your son, Jesus. God, thank you for the faithfulness of Nehemiah. God, thank you for the faithfulness of these men who paved the way for Nehemiah, God. And how you've woven yourself into every bit of this story, God. Reading this this week, God, has showed me how much your hand is on them. And God, how you have orchestrated this whole thing to bring glory to you. And God, we now want to rest in you, God. Open our minds, God, open our hearts, Lord. And Lord, you just just use this word today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated now. So in 2 Kings 25.10... See, I'm, I'm a little weird when it comes to this type of stuff, the Old Testament things. I really want to know what in the world is going on. Kind of like a history thing. Like I want to go back, I want to look and see why this happened, where, where was this at in the timeline. And because I feel like when I do those type of things, it helps me better understand the word that is being, that's being taught before me. It helps me out a lot because I am ADHDDDDDDDD, okay? So I'm talking about I'm all over the place. This asked my wife. I'm all over the place. I don't know, like, I put stuff down. Like, men, I don't know. This might be a man guy thing. I don't know. Like, I set my keys right here on the table. Like, all right, there's my keys. I came home from work. Have a good day. And then the next morning, I'm like, where is my stuff? Has anybody seen my things? Has anyone seen my keys? And they're literally right in front of me, and I have no idea where they are. My wife's like, they're right there. I'm like, where? She's like, right there. Where? Maybe D. I can't help it. So I like to go through here, and I really like to study and look at the background context so we can see where we're at today. And in Nehemiah, I found a lot of things that happened in the genealogical order, in the chronological order that these, are ha- these events are happening, that made sense to me. So buckle up, is what I'm trying to say. We're going on a ride. We're going back to the future, if you will. So, man, that was so corny. I quit. Never mind. That's, that's like a loop joke or something. That was just dumb. That was a late joke. Whatever. I'm done. Forget it. No more jokes for me. 
So, in 2 Kings 25.10, we learn that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. And for 70 years, the people were in exile. We see in the book of Ezra, Ezra, before, that's the book right before Nehemiah, Nehemiah, sorry, that Babylon was taken over and that God moves the heart of, of Cyrus to send Zerubbabel, well, to send the people to rebuild the temple and 40,000 exiles returned with Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest. They rebuild the altar and they lay down the foundations of the temple before they are stopped by their enemies. In the reign of King Darius, he recommissioned them and the temple was finished. God then moves King Artaxerxes to commission Ezra to return to Jerusalem and teach the law of Moses. He returns with another wave of exiles and finds that the Jewish people are not following God's laws. Now we fast forward about 60 years and we start out here in the book of Nehemiah. So I'll give you all a little background on what's happening here. <clears throat> well, we'll continue on forward. We're going first we're going to see first thing we're going to talk about is Nehemiah's passion. In verse 4 it says this. As soon as I heard these words I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. We see Nehemiah for days on end. He fasts, he prays, he weeps and he mourns for his city. The news he received that the people who were there were left in shame and in danger. The people who were there in, in Judah and Jerusalem, they were left there in shame and despair. They were, they were defenseless and they were the laughing stock of their enemies. And Nehemiah knew the once, the once prominent city that it was. And he knew that this was a shameful thing because he wanted to return, um, he wanted to return the people to their former glory what they were. So he was burdened for his city. He saw the need in his city. And so he burdened him. He was so burdened and moved by it that he was going to do whatever it took for, for him to make a difference in his city. He was burdened for those around him. You know, I get to thinking, and I ask myself, when's the last time that we as a church people, we as Christians, have been burdened for our communities? When was the last time we made an impact in our own neighborhoods for the glory of God? And we see this man, Nehemiah, who hears this story about his city. It's far away from where he's at, and he is burdened, and he is ready to make a difference and go help. Nehemiah is like a missionary. He was ready to go and make a difference for the glory of God. When was the last time we as a as Christians, as believers, have ever, made, have ever wanted to make an impact like that for God in our own cities, in our own communities. That's what the church is for. We're a, body, we're a community within itself, a body of believers to go and impact those around us. These four walls of this church, that's just here on Sundays, but the rest of the week, we're, we're supposed to be recharged, equipped, and sent out. That's what we are as a church. We're supposed to be sent out to our communities and to the people who are out there and we're supposed to minister to them and have a burden for them and pray for them and, and all these things. And when have we, like, when have we as, a, as a people, as a Christian, who claim to be Christians, last time that we have had a, a true burden for those around us? Nehemiah's prayer 
It's the next thing we're going to talk. We're talking about Nehemiah's passion. Now we're going to talk about Nehemiah's prayer. We're going down to verse 5. It says, I said, O God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps the covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. For the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember that the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. If you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them back to a place I have chosen to make my name well there. Nehemiah is praying for God to keep his promise. So to give you a little timeline, like I said, I'm a nerd. Here we go, history time. <clears throat> give a little timeline what we're doing here. In 2 Kings, verse, let's see, we're going to go to 2 Kings if you have... Um, if you just write it down, you can just follow along that way. 2 Kings 23. Here we go. 2 Kings 23, 26 through 27. See, the timeline that's leading up to this is that we have King Josiah. And King Josiah uh, renewed the covenant of God. There's a lot of kings beforehand that they, they didn't care anything about what God had to say. A lot of evil kings that come through in Josiah's time to reign. So what he does, he honors God. He removes all the idols out of the temple, out of the places, out of the houses. He's like, get them out and we're going to burn them is what we're going to do. And so he's like, we, they got to go. He removed all the false idols from Judah and had them burned. 2 Kings 23. 2 Kings 23, verses 26 and 27. And even though he did all this, listen here. Still the Lord did not turn from the burning of, the, of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah because of the <clears throat> provo- provocations with, with which Meshana, sorry, I probably messed that one up too, had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel and I will cast off this city that I have chosen that I have chosen. Jerusalem and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. So God is still, he's still burning with wrath because of so much timeline of history of so many kings being corrupt. And Josiah comes and he tries to remove the idols out of there, burn them, get them out. We're going we're to restore God's covenant. We're going to do what God wants us to do. This is it. And God's like, it's not enough. So, after Josiah's death, his descendants come, and they don't follow God. And they return to their sinful ways. We see in 2 Kings 24, 20, if you want to make a note of that, it says, For because of the anger of the Lord, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that was cast out from his presence. Because of the continuation of these people who are not following God's laws, not following God's commands. God's like, I'm casting you out from my presence. I'm done dealing with it. So we see that God's had enough of their disobedience and he has banished them from his presence and he's going to allow them to be taken over. 
He's going to be allowed for his people to be taken over by the Babylonians. We see it also in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 15 through 21. It says, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent, <clears throat> sent to them by his messengers, because he had compassion on the people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God. God kept sending them he sent to the prophet Jeremiah and they were like, he was telling them, if you don't turn from your wicked ways, your city is going to be scattered. God's going to allow the city to be taken over. And they just like, whatever. Get out of my face. They was mocking him. Mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people. Until there was no remedy. God sent word. And these people still didn't care. So we go to the account of Jeremiah, verse 40. Jeremiah, verse 40. Jeremiah, chapter 40, sorry, verses 2 and 3. This is after this has all taken place. That God has handed them over to the Babylonians. Jeremiah has prophesied to him that this was going to happen time and time again. They mocked him. They turned him away. We don't want to hear what you've got to say. We're going to continue following our ways. In Jeremiah chapter 40, it says this. The captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, The Lord your God pronounced this, this disaster against this place. The Lord has brought, brought it about and has done as he said. Because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey his voice, this thing has come upon you. So, why am I telling you all this? Why am I giving you this big timeline of what's happening here? Well, we see it reflected, all these events leading up, going back to Nehemiah's prayer in verse 7 and 9. It says this, We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, through your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven. From there, I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. So Nehemiah knows that these people have been corrupted. Nehemiah knows the history of the people there in Judah, that they have decided to go their own ways and not follow God. So God said, okay, I got something for you. I'm going to exile you out. And these people have been exiled out of here for over 70 years. 70 years God has kept them out of the land that they were promised because of their unbelief and their unfaithfulness. And so what Nehemiah, he's calling to God saying, God, I know what you said, but God, you made a promise. God, that if we follow your commands, Father... That you would bring us back. God, if we, do, if we hold up our end of the deal, Father, you will bring us back. And Nehemiah at the time says, sounds like, like he's making a good deal. Like, God, look, I, I'm going to work this out, Father. We're, we're going to bring the people back, God. We're going we're to keep your commands, God. We're going to do all these things for your name. So that was Nehemiah's thought process through that. We go next to Nehemiah's position. Right here at the end of chapter 1, it says Nehemiah makes a statement at the end of verse 11 that he was the king's cupbearer. How many people in here ever had a job that they couldn't stand? They didn't like, hey, let's just say, hey, 
Anybody in here? Look at Justin Chicken now. Alright. Calm down, Pastor. Anybody? Right. I worked at a junkyard. Okay? Look at me. You think I'm going to be working in the junkyard for a long time? The answer's no. And I worked there for about two weeks and said, this ain't move. This ain't it. This ain't what I need to be doing in my life. They're like, take off this fuel pump. I'm like, say what? A fuel? You mean where I put gas in? They're like, no. Take off the fuel pump of this car. We're going to sell it to this guy. And I'm like, man, I don't even know what a fuel... I'm 18 years old. I don't even know what a fuel pump is. What are you talking about? They're like, oh, we got one of those in here. So, of course, for the next two weeks, I was giving all the grunt stuff. You know, oh, our toilet's clogged. Don't clean it. <laughs> and they called me Moose and all this other stuff the whole time. It's great. But anyways... <clears throat> So I hated that job, man. I mean, I hate to use the word hate, but man, it was rough. Day in and day out, going in and going, oh my gosh, what I got to do today? It's terrible. It's not what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't need to be working here. But nowadays, I look at it and I have bad days at work at some places I've worked in the past. And that government, if Justin won't... He speaks life into you sometimes, and it just really makes you mad when he's like, just be joyous in your job. And I'm like, man, you know, I work hate work in the jail. It's not, there's not a whole lot of joy there, you know? It's not like I got punched in the face in one of my last two weeks there. It's not a lot of joy. You don't find joy in getting punched in the face. But you find joy in honoring God. And you honor God by the way you work. It doesn't matter what, about what people think. A lot of people are going to look at you, and they're going to say things and do things, and you're not there to glorify Him. You're there to glorify God. And I'm like, I don't need to hear that. I just want to be, I just want to be miserable. Let me be miserable, please. No, it's not what He's called us to do. Called us to be miserable. It calls us to bring joy to people, to minister to people, to love on people. And He gets the glory for it all. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> but it's fine though. Nehemiah had a terror. I mean, I couldn't think of a worse job to have than being the king's cupbearer. What that means is before the king eats, before the king drinks, you as the cupbearer, you eat it, you drink it to make sure it's not poison. And if you die, the king's like, oh, oh, I'm glad, glad I didn't eat that. I'm glad this guy ate it, not me. <laughs> Just get him in the shovel, throw him in the back, get another one. No, the king's cupbearer. That's your job. Your job is to eat and drink and hopefully it ain't poison. But through that, God orchestrated that in Nehemiah's life to gain favor from the king. Because you've got to have trust in your cupbearer. You know, it's like that, like that movie, The Princess Bride, where he's changing the cups around and stuff, and he's trying to get, you know, okay, it's over some people's heads. The movie's great, by the way. If you homework assignment tonight, go home and watch The Princess Bride. It's a great movie. It's clean, so you'll be fine with it. And you'll understand what I'm saying to you. The reason I know about The Princess Bride is my wife made me watch it. <clears throat> Anyways. <clears throat> So it's like a shell game for them. And, but anyways, we'll just throw that outside. What I'm trying to say is, <laughs> is that you have to have trust in your cupbearer. Because your cupbearer could say it's not poison and it be poison and you die. And he's like, ha, 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 in your face. I'm alive this time. So <clears throat> you've got to be careful with who you choose for your cupbearer. You've got to have trust in them. And so the trust came through for Nehemiah because he found favor. He prayed for God for favor from this man that he's been his cupbearer. And because cupbearers are a trusted position, he found favor. And so he goes to the king and explains to the king what's happening. We'll see here next in Nehemiah's plan. 
Verse 2, 5, it says this. If I can find it. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, and you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. 2.12, it says this. Sorry. <laughs> then I rose at night, and I had a few men with me, and I told them, <clears throat> this is, he's, he's arrived at his room. The king granted him favor and said, go. And he gets some of the king's protection. He gets letters from the king. The king God moves the king to send Nehemiah to go. So Nehemiah has gone, and he arrives there in Judah. When I arose in the night, he's been there for a few days, and I had a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. And I went out by night by the valley gate, the dragon spring, and to the dung gate, and I expected the walls of Jerusalem. We'll go down here. Then I went up in the night to the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so I returned. And officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, and officials, and the rest who were there to do work. And then I said to them, You see these, ter- these troubles we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins, with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer desertion. And I told them of the hand of my God, and he had upon me for good, and also for the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. We go, we go on through the story from here, and we see that Nehemiah was, he was able to accomplish what he was going to do. <clears throat> we go through the story and see where God worked through Nehemiah while he was facing, while he was facing opposition through different sides, through different enemies. The miracle of God that he was able to rebuild the wall in a period of 52 days. The walls are very important in a city during these days because what the walls do, they, they keep the enemies out. It's protection is what it is. Walls are good, okay? Not Donald Trump, sorry. Walls are good, okay? For those people back then. Because what they did, they kept the enemy out. And with the, the city having no walls, that's like us having no police department. It would be terrible. Okay, so the city, he built the walls within 52 days. He was able to wall up around the city by a miracle of God working through him. So during this time, the people of Judah repented of their sins. They made a covenant to God to follow his laws and worship at the temple once more. It seemed like finally, finally, after all these people had been through, through the ministries of Ezra, the ministries of Nehemiah, that they were finally restoring their old ways back to bring glory to God. Through this whole timeline, we've seen of these corrupt king after king, good king, bad king, bad king. God's like, I'm tired of this. You're being exiled out. You can't keep my commandments. You're gone. They're exiled out. And the king of Babylon gets taken back over. They get destroyed. So a new king comes. A new king commissions them to go back to Judah. So they go back to Judah. They rebuild the temple. They try to establish God's laws. It doesn't really work out. And they commission God uh, burdens Nehemiah to go back to the city, rebuild its walls. And we're going we're to restore the city to what it used to be. So we see this pattern throughout history here of, of we're doing, it's like a roller coaster. 
We're doing good. We're not doing so great. God, we're back. God, we're gone. Sorry. You know, that's, that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing this pattern happen with these people. And Nehemiah, he's praying, God, his prayer in the first chapter was, God, you know, God, keep your promise, Father. Keep your end of He's basically saying, God, keep your end of the deal. You said if we come back and we do all these things, Father, that you will find you will bring us back, God. We're gonna do this, Lord. We've got it figured out. We find in chapter 13 in Nehemiah that unfortunately he doesn't have it all worked out. All these things have been orchestrated into place, all these all these ways where Nehemiah's working, he's established, we're doing this. God, we're coming back to what we used to be. And Nehemiah gets all this together. He stays there for about 12 years working and ministering and orchestrating different things there in the city. And he's like, I'm out of here. Y'all got it figured out. I'm going to go back. So he goes back and he's gone from, from for a while. And then he returns. And... He finds out in chapter 13 that the people have returned back to their wicked ways. I mean, give me a break. We've done all these things. You know the timeline, people. You know what happens when we do all these things. We've just got the temple rebuilt. We've got the altar rebuilt. We're establishing God's laws again. That didn't work out. So, well, I come here. We build these walls. We, do, we establish God's law again. And I come back. I leave. I come back and... What do we find? We see people in Judah working on the Sabbath. We see that Tobiah, who was an oppressor of Nehemiah during the construction of the wall, has taken over the storerooms in the temple. Storerooms in the temple for his own use. We see the Levites who were teaching the law were not being paid. We see people who are coming into the city and selling goods on the Sabbath day. And the people of Judah were impurifying themselves by marrying outsiders. Nehemiah was working to restore order in the city. He was working hard to kind of restore order in the city. He sees all this chaos happening. And meanwhile, he's praying, Oh God, just remember me for my faithful work. Like he threw his hands up. He's like, God, I'm trying. God, I tried. God, I tried to get these people to do what they're supposed to do. Father, just, just remember me for my good work, God. Just try, God, I'm so sorry. I tried. I really did. God, I tried. So, just remember me. Because Nehemiah remembers what happened when the people disobeyed God. And God exiled them out. And he tried. He said, God, I tried. But they just continued disobeying you. See, the problem for the people there in Judah, they didn't need walls. It wasn't that they had broken walls in their city. They had broken people. They had a people there who were in need, desperate need of a Savior. No matter how much work they tried to establish God's laws, do all this stuff, God, we're going to make this thing work, and God, we're here, we're going to do this. You know, God, remember, remember you said you would bring us back together if we follow your commands. The thing is, they couldn't. No matter how hard they tried, 
no matter how much effort the leaders thought they put into it, it wasn't enough. Because people are going to be people. We are sinful people. We are in people in desperate need of a Savior. So how? How is Nehemiah? How is Jesus a true and better Nehemiah? Well, we see Jesus' passion. Jesus, in Luke 19, 41-44, Luke 19, 41-44, it says this, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. We see Jesus' passion here for his city, for the same city Nehemiah wept over. Here's Jesus saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day that the things that make for peace... And now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come to you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear down and tear you down to the ground and your children within you and they will, they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. He's weeping over his city because they are, they are rejecting him. And he is the true son of God. That he is the one who's going to reestablish the law there because he is coming to fulfill the law. He's coming to tell them, like, yes, the law is good, but I'm better. You can't keep the law, but I am the law that I'm going to fulfill it for on your behalf. And the people, just like they did with Jeremiah, they rejected it. We see Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Yes. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I was with you before the world existed. That was Jesus' prayer to his Father. He's not, he's not saying, Nehemiah saying, God, you know, we're going to do this and, and we're going to do this work. And, and hopefully, you know, you'll, you'll keep your end of the deal and bring us back together. And Jesus is like, God, I've done it. Where all these people have failed, Father, I've done it. And I'm bringing glory to you. We see Jesus' position. Just as Nehemiah leaves his position of importance, Jesus steps out from his position in heaven to come and restore people back to God. Just as Nehemiah bared the cup for the king, Jesus bears the cup of his father's wrath on your behalf. We see Jesus' plan. Jesus' plan was to come and live a perfect life to fulfill God's law. Jesus was the plan that was the prophets of old were talking about. He is God's mysterious plan revealed. But see, at the end of it, I talked about Nehemiah's problem. Nehemiah had a problem. But his people just wasn't going to do it. Well, <clears throat> the last point here today is Jesus solves the problem. The problem here in the book of Nehemiah is that these people need a restoration. We see from the beginning when Moses led them out of captivity and when he had left, it, he, he left they erected a golden calf for worship. 
We see time and time again the failure of man by not keeping God's laws. We've studied here the last several weeks through the Old Testament. And countless people, although did the will of God, could not defeat their sinful nature. Even in the New Testament. Paul says in Romans 7 that his sin is like a thorn in his side. The problem is, is that we are sinners. And the only solution to our sin problem is by the grace of God through His faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. He kept God's laws. He lived a life that I couldn't. And He died a death that I deserved. Where Nehemiah failed, Jesus succeeded. Jesus is a true and better Nehemiah. Jesus is a true and better all of us. So... I'm just, can I just be real for a moment? Is that okay? Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Leslie. I will. <laughs> I just want to be real for a moment. And I, I've been real burdened this week with this message. The reason being is because I, um, I have a unique opportunity now. My job... Um, I have a new job. I know we we'll only get punched in the face at work every day, so that's great. Um, but I'm a I'm a hostage chaplain, and Luke can testify to this. You know, it it really it really gives you it really gives you an urgency for the gospel, okay? Because you deal with people every day who are staring death right in the face. Who are fixing the passion this life on to the next. And what I've come to find is when you're talking to these people, I get a lot of the same answers. I get a lot of, oh yeah, you know, I we went down there to that church and went down there for a few years and I was a boy. I ain't been back since, but I'm I got baptized when I was a kid, I'm good. I'm I'm good. Or yeah, I'm a good person. My my husband was a deacon down there at this church or my father was a, was a layman at this church, and I'm good, I'm fine, you know. They tell me all these things about their, their church membership and their service to their church and, and what people were inside the church, but they don't, they don't tell me anything about Jesus. And so what I'm trying to say to you today is, it's just like when Nehemiah just thought that, hey, look, we, we will keep God's commandments. We will try to be good. And God, we will do what you say we, we should do. What happened was he couldn't do it. Nobody in this room can do it. Not me, not Pastor Justin. Nobody in here can keep God's commandments and God's laws and live a perfectly good life. Thank God we don't have to. Because we have the person, the true and better Nehemiah in the person of Jesus Christ. Who lived that perfect life for us. Who died a death that we deserve. And that we are, we are made glorified by the Father through His sacrifice. That is the person that we can believe on. That is the person that we can lean on. That is the person who is the true and better. Everything in life is Jesus Christ. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And too many times people are going to die and are going to face judgment. And they don't know God because they say, I had Jesus plus church membership. Jesus plus I worship some. Jesus plus I read my Bible a little bit and I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And the problem is that we're not. Outside of Jesus Christ, you're not good. 
That is the truth of the gospel.